Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton. Uh, uh, guest uh, today is uh, none other than Paul Wadlington, uh, one of the uh, longtime contributors, commentary uh, extraordinaire uh, of Inside Texas. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm good. I, I know you're tired when you struggle with your own name, Bobby. I, <laughs> well, welcome to my world when you've got two kids uh, trying to run around, trying to take care of things. Uh, all, 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 I'm all solo this week. My wife's on a girl's trip elsewhere, so uh, I'm a, a little harried. Hey, uh, Paul, uh, this uh, segment brought to you by uh, Mortgages by Gabe. Uh, I'm going to have you talk about them a little bit later. Uh, but first, I want to get to our whole discussion today, a couple of different things have come up that we, we've talked about that you and I want to speak on today. Number one is the odds makers in Vegas have put down some interesting odds on Texas, uh, as well as someone for Heisman uh, that wears a Longhorn uniform. Uh, I want to get to those your thoughts on those. And, and then also we're going to talk a little NIL and just what we think in the broad scope of where things are headed uh, or not headed, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, let's start with the, those odds. Uh, that you found kind of interesting Joe Cook wrote about this week on Inside Texas, Paul. Yeah, powerful Joe Cook posted some odds from Bet Online AG. And uh, Texas, plus 2,800 to win the national title. Quinn Ewers, plus 2,000 to win the Heisman. So they the, the smart money, or at least the public version of the smart money, thinks Ewers has a better chance of winning the Heisman than Texas winning the national title. Now, Bobby... I think the real service we can give to our, our watchers and our listeners is to make them filthy rich. So <laughs> I went into the odds parlay calculator because I don't know why I'd have that on my browser because of reasons. Uh, <laughs> but if you bet a mere thousand dollars, Bobby, on those two things parlayed, you know what the payout is? 55,000. 608,000 American dollars, Bobby. So Bobby Burton is recommending that all of you bet your life savings on this parlay because it's going to, it's sure to pay out. I, I think actually Steve Sarkeesian should, should, should uh, just put one weekly paycheck in there for him. See what, see what happens if it comes true. Steve should underwrite anyone's losses. You can, you can sue him uh, and, and he'll cover the payment, but yeah, actually, is there a conflict of interest if you bet on your, so didn't Pete Rose back in the day get in trouble for betting on his team, even though he was betting on winning outcomes? Or was that an oversimplification of what he was doing? I don't know all of it, okay. uh, but I do know that he did some of that. Yeah. Um, and it wrecked my Pete Rose baseball card collection forever and the value of it. <laughs> you had a Pete, you had a pristine Pete Rose rookie card. I, I did not have that, but I had plenty of Pete Rose cards that, uh, the value of which has maintained the same since 1984. Well, a young, a young Paul Wadlington journeyed to the Astrodome, the, the true Astrodome, when it was one of the great wonders of the world, Bobby. Uh, got an Astro Pop, if anyone remembers those giant lollipops that are swirled. and Rainbow uh, colored. Watched Mr. Rose get into an altercation on the field in a bench-clearing brawl because he spiked the second baseman. So... <laughs> I got the full Pete Rose experience. I got the full Astro. And this is back when Astros had their sweet uh, futuristic uniforms. It was good stuff. I think I fell asleep on the ride back home from Houston. And uh, I got the full Pete Rose experience. So there you go. Yeah. I, I don't know how we sidebarred into this, but my my memory of Pete Rose is somewhat different. I was in the uh, – I was 
in the Astrodome the night that he started an eighth, a seventh or eighth inning rally against the Astros. The Phillies went on to win the World Series because of it. And I still, to this day, him and Mike Schmidt, I don't know. Um, great players. Didn't like him back then, but, you know, hey, what the heck. Hey, let, let's talk a little bit more. Matt, uh, our producer, is speaking to him right now. Will you put those odds back up on the national champions uh, just to see uh, the other uh, high-end guys that, that are expected here uh, for the national champion? I, I thought that this was interesting. I mean, uh, far it looks like far and away, Texas is number one in the Big 12. Georgia leads the way to actually three-peat. Um, uh, at uh, plus 375, Alabama at plus 525, Ohio State plus 550, yep. Clemson plus 900. Then you get down to that next rung, and it's LSU, Michigan, USC, Florida State. Uh, you know, Mark, Mike Norvell seems to have them going in the right direction. Notre Dame uh, and then Texas. What's Penn State out there, uh, Mike? 3,300. So they're third in the Big Ten. The next highest in the Big 12, 6,600 uh, for TCU. Uh, what do you? Who do you think odds-on favorite would you would pick right now if you're picking for uh, national champions? Does uh, Notre Dame have an offensive coordinator yet, or no? Have a grad a grad assistant call all their plays? Yeah, they they keep they they keep flunking that that uh, that uh, task. I think uh, they're having problems finding a buyout. But seriously, you know, you look at it. Georgia has to replace its quarterback. Yep. But goodness gracious, they're loaded everywhere else. Um, Alabama, I think they'll feel a bigger sting from loss of their quarterback, uh, just because he's so much more dynamic. Um, but you know, I don't know that there is a, you know, odds on favorite. I, I almost would, would think Clemson might be that team if Kate Klubnick can prove that he's that good and Garrett Riley going from TCU to Clemson as the offensive coordinator continues his, his magic. Yeah, Clemson's got a shot. They, I mean, look, the history of Clemson's pretty clear. They need exceptional quarterback play to make that whole thing go. And they didn't get that uh, from Mr. Ugalele. Uh, I guess, I mean, I, I'm loath to say it, but because of how the schedule sets up and just their talent level, Ohio State, this might be the year that they'd be an interesting bet just because the SEC might just all beat up each other and, and trade losses. Hard to, you know, it's it's also there's a recency bias for this stuff, right, Bobby? The fact that TCU is even up there, I, I think is kind of silly. I think that's a sucker bet for for undiscriminating betters. But also Michigan, you know, people remember they, they're the team that lost to TCU and then TCU goes on and gets humiliated by Georgia. You know, teams aren't guaranteed. They can improve. They change. They're different. You might have J.J. McCarthy evolve so they might be an interesting bet so I, i'm kind of think your instinct might be mine which is to look outside the sec to find the easy path conference winner like a clemson ohio state a michigan a texas usc usc uh washington's in there you know penn state's always interesting I'm, I'm, it's interesting you asked about them because they're always loaded with talent and and despite what people perceive them to be they're actually incredibly athletic most year in and year out as a program. I just think that there's a, a James Franklin coaching deficit that's always going to prevent them from, from achieving their goals. So uh, I kind of always throw them out. Uh, Washington is like a fun dark horse, but 
I don't see them having. They're a a very TCU-like dark horse. Very TCU-like. They'd have to go through the Pac-10 and and do their thing. Uh, Oregon is, I guess, always interesting because they, you know, they can they can accumulate some talent out there. Texas A&M. Oh, there they are. Well, on all their glory. Uh, Yeah, you got to If you're not going to do the Quinn Ewers Texas parlay, you got to do the Connor Wegman Texas A&M parlay. I'm sure. Oh, I bet that would be even more valuable. Hey, uh, Matt, let's talk about the Heisman odds real quick. And and obviously, Caleb Williams uh, is going to uh, be the uh, guy that's the odds-on favorite. It means the reigning Heisman champ, right? So that's only natural. Uh, the, he is going to be a junior at USC, probably his, uh, most likely his final year. Uh, but look at this. Jordan Travis, the Florida State QB. Drake May, uh, the North Carolina QB. Michael Penix. The Washington, not a, not a running back here. Michael Penix, Washington, Sam Hartman from Wake Forest, transferring to Notre Dame, Bo Nix from Auburn uh, to Oregon, Joe Milton, Jaden Daniels, Kyle McCord. I guess they think Kyle McCord's going to get the job in Columbus. Uh, and then Quinn Ewers and Kate Klubnick. Not a single running back in the top 15, it looks like. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Heisman is an award for the quarterback of a top 10 team that gets a lot. It's telegenic and puts up a bunch of wins and a lot of press and some statistics, right? That's, that's what the Heisman's become. Uh, It's just, I mean, it's funny because as you and I were growing up, it was as much a running back award as a quarterback award. And, And that tells you a little bit about the direction of college offenses, but it also tells you that it's just, it's, there's such a, People say, well, now there's such a media hype to it. If you actually study the award, it's always had media hype to it. You know, Paul Hornung won the Heisman for a two and eight Notre Dame team. So, you know, Jim Brown didn't win the Heisman, for God's sake. Uh, you know, I it's always had a, a media component and, and it used to always sort of be dominated by East Coast sports writers. That's now disseminated, but it's now, I think, sort of talking heads and who gets all the ESPN highlights. Caleb Williams would be the odds on favorite for obvious reasons. If you want to go outside of that, you go probably go Drake May just off of pure talent, right? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a wide receiver. Um, uh, you know, it's just it's to your point, running backs are not getting the um, uh, media uh, promotion that they once got, uh, I believe. The other thing I would say that I don't like about uh, the Heisman that has changed really over the last 20 years, and, and I'm sorry for the young folks that we're talking to here that are you know in their 20s right now, but when we were growing up, there was a slow build to the Heisman campaign. Yeah. Um, you had to prove it each and every week, and then ultimately it really went to the person that had the best season. Nowadays, you know, I think back to Nandamakan Sue um, and that uh, Big 12 championship game, Colt McCoy had a tremendous senior season. Yep. And it was all negated in a single Big 12 playoff game because that's the first time 
every everybody sat down to watch Texas apparently. And I really felt like that was a that that just showed me that the Heisman had gone, there had become this confluence of media coverage that it all of a sudden usurped everything that went before it around the uh the conference championship games and games played that last weekend before somebody made a a, a Heisman vote. Nadama Kang Su, I think, finished in the top five in the Heisman, really based not that he wasn't a tremendous player, he was, but based off that game because he outplayed Colt McCoy somehow, despite Texas having major uh, interior line problems in that game. So I, I feel like the Heisman isn't what it once was, not just because of the media, not just because of the East Coast disparate media functionality, but now the last two or last one or two games seem to mean almost everything in the Heisman race. And I, I, I don't like that. I don't agree with it. Yeah, two thoughts on that. Uh, Colt McCoy actually statistically had a much stronger junior season. Yeah, oh, yeah, no doubt. When he had a better supporting cast and he had Quan Cosby along with Shipley and they had that crazy triangle mind meld of they just knew exactly where the ball was going to be every time he dropped back to throw it. I think part of it, too, in that season, that, that Nebraska Big 12 title game, which I was at, uh, that was incredibly frustrating, and I think it did influence a lot of the late votes. But also, that Texas offense degraded, and Colt McCoy was the one-man gang. But if you remember early in their year, the other big showcase game was OU. And that was a very low-scoring, tight game in which the Texas offense also got solved by the OU defense. Um, Greg Davis had gotten a little, uh, you know, one page on the script and, and I think defense is caught up. So that was part of it. The other part is you're absolutely right about the recency bias. I mean, I will never forget this, but part of Kirk Bowles' argument for voting for Reggie Bush, despite having Superman in his backyard, was that Vince Young had an average game against Texas A&M in the, season, you know, in the regular season finale. And that somehow discounted his entire body of work in which he was basically a god on the football field. You know, he's rushing for a thousand yards, throwing for 3000 yards at a time when that was absolutely unheard of. And also just, you know, he was out of games in the middle of the third quarter, half the time. Uh, so Kirk, we remember, uh, but yeah, you're right. That's, that has become shaded by that. I also think you got a few Heisman voters who vote early, right? They, they sort of throw away their votes and sort of anoint someone by mid season instead of letting the totality of the season play out. But I do think it gets caught up in media hype. Everyone talks. I hate the talk about that's their Heisman moment. Oh, that's the Heisman moment. And it's like the moment is a season. It's not. That, that's that's my point. That, that's a that's a great synopsis right there. What you just said is my my thought process is, is it's a season's worth of accomplishments, a season worth season's worth of a team accomplishment. Yeah. Um, Caleb Williams lost his last game prior to the vote. Still won, but he played like superhuman. So I, I don't, my, my take on this is I, I just feel like you use the term recency bias and I believe it's there. Um, and I think that's one thing that's kind of sad uh, about uh, the, uh, the Heisman these days. All right, we're going to go to our next topic. But first, I want you to talk about mortgages uh, by Gabe. Uh, go for it, Mr. Wadlington. Well, I'll tell you what, we're talking about a guy who named his dog Vince. And then we're talking about Gabe Winslow. He's a diehard Longhorn, 20 years in the mortgage industry. He's got a law degree, really sharp. I have personally referred 
almost, I think, over 100 people to Gabe and gotten absolute raves about his level of service and his professionalism. He's also a diehard Longhorn, and he's a guy that you can uh, talk mortgages with, but also talk ball in every sport. Give him a call, 832-557-1095, or go to mortgagesbygabe.com. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for that, and thank you for sponsoring this, uh, Gabe. We appreciate it. Hey, Paul, uh, another thing that I wanted to talk to you about is NIL. It's the dirty three-letter word these days in college sports, I think, at some level, right? Uh, The Aggies this week came out with the idea that the 12th man is going to raise funds for NIL and pay the players to promote the 12th man. Um, (laughs) And so there's questions whether or not that will ultimately be be deemed legal or not. But in the interim, Texas is full full bore uh, promoting its own NIL uh, apparatus, the Texas One Fund. Uh, They have a upcoming event on Tuesday of this coming week in Houston. Uh, where, you know, Steve Sarkeesian and uh, Steve Sarkeesian and Chris Del Conte, the athletic director, are both going to be in Houston meeting with fans. And uh, there's going to be an admission uh, suggestion and, and they're going to, to raise funds that way. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Um, what do you think about NIL as a whole um, as it relates to college football and college sports in general? So Texas A&M, help me clarify, Bobby, is that illegal potentially or is it frowned upon? Uh, it's potentially illegal, uh, okay. and that's the reason why it's frowned upon. I think otherwise other teams would have already been doing this. Huh. Um, well, but what I am hearing, according to uh, members of the NCAA, is that you can't give points for loyalty. You can't give loyalty points for tickets, which is what the, t- the 12th man doles out in re- in then it becomes pay for play. That being said, I think it's clear that AM thinks that there's a workaround technically or legally, or else they wouldn't be doing it. I mean, I don't think like I don't I don't think they're just thumbing their nose entirely here. Uh, I think they have a reason behind it. What I think is going to happen is if if the NCAA does say, okay, well, you're kind of right, and they're not going to do anything about it, then I think you're going to see everybody else change. Um, if not, then, you know, back to square one for the Aggies. Yeah. Well, look, everyone's going to explore every Avenue to try to do what they can. Um, it's, it's not going away. I think what's interesting about NIL and you and I were talking a little bit about this offline is that you're going to see a lot of iteration. You're going to see a lot of experimentation. People are going to say the Texas techs of the world have said, all right, here's who we are. Let's create an NIL where every guy be gets forty dollars to $50,000 a year guaranteed. And that's going to keep the siren song of other programs from stealing our guys. It's going to create unity. It's going to allow us to go to those three stars that we're going to thrive on on the recruiting trail and say, hey, come, come here, play football. Everything's paid for. And you get 50 grand in your pocket every year. Sound good to you? Hey, when I was 18 years old, that sounds pretty good. Then you're going to have some programs that pursue stars. So they're going to get rich alums to buy in to buying two or three big players 
And this, this could be a program like the University of Houston, right? They could go buy, theoretically, a player from a superior program. You know, they could go buy a star from Auburn if Auburn can't pony up. Uh, you know, that's where the, the Jade Barons on your roster are most at risk. Very good players, maybe not the best player and getting the most paid or, or getting the most opportunities. And they might be susceptible to even these sort of mid mid-tier programs who decide to make a concerted effort to get two or three stars. Tech is going to have a distributed model. There's going to be other schools that, uh, you know, find creative ways to link pay to play and performance, which you're not supposed to do, right? It's a big no-no. I just, I, I think it's going to be a lot of experimentation. I think you're going to see people play with the gray areas of legality and, and, and their create technicality, you know, and, and off, offshoring, you know, sort of some of their stuff. But ultimately, I think you're going to see a lot of experimentation and there's not going to be any one way to skin this cat. And, the, you know, that's the American way. <laughs> I, I just think to myself, you know, I, I, I almost uh, I was talking to someone the other night and I compared it to the beginning of the Internet in my own industry when I was covering recruiting. Um, we tried there were 85 different business models that all got articulated and sent around everything was going to be free at first. Then everything was going to be behind a paywall. Then yeah. there was going to be micro payments. And then there were, there were 15 different ways that, that this was all going to work out. Um, what I would suggest, and, and this is where I come out is the university of Texas needs to focus on itself and let other people do what they're going to do. Uh, but be running hundred miles an hour and laser focused. The minute you take your eye off the ball, and don't have a strategic plan and start trying to mimic others, it, it can get, uh, you don't necessarily have a, a direct path. Uh, so I, I feel like Texas with the Texas one fund is on the right path. Uh, they just need to keep, keep churning. Well, and also I think you have to, people just think, Oh, now it's just a pure bidding war. I, I don't think that's the case. It's not, it's I not mean, a pure bidding war. Players still want to be developed. They still want to win games. They still want to be in an environment that they enjoy. Uh, in the NFL, all the time, players take less money to go to a winning team uh, or a, the right situation or the right offense that fits their skill set. And that's what you also have to concentrate on. The other thing is you have to be willing to let certain things play out. There was a lot of panic in Longhorn land when AM. And there's a hell of a lot of panic in Alabama land, frankly, based on Nick Saban's offseason comments. Uh, when AM paid for that class and got the number one class and had what, six, five stars or whatever it was. Uh, but you kind of had to be willing to let that play out. Because if some of those players came to College Station just for the money, and maybe the money doesn't materialize in exactly the way they believed it would, or they just realize, yeah, I made more money here marginally, but I'm not happy. I don't enjoy it here. I don't like the offense. I don't like how I'm being used. Those are players that are going to ultimately actually be disruptive. I mean, there, there is such a thing as coach killers. And the traditional coach killer is the guy who's 6'5", 260, runs a 4'6", carved out of granite, but he's just not very good at football. Like he, he will get you fired if you're the defensive end position coach, right? There's another version of Coach Killers, which is that five-star who's disgruntled the first day they step on campus. So we've got to be willing to let some of this play out. And I'm not necessarily picking on AM, but I'm picking on AM 
because I think you saw some of that happen last year in, in, in how they blew up. Yeah, I, I feel like you, you bring up a good point there. Uh, the other issue that, that's interesting to me um, is, and this is the point uh, when you started talking about recruiting. Yep. And Jerry and I, Jerry Hamilton and I have talked about this as well. Nobody's money is greener. If, if, if two people are bidding $100,000, say, right? They're, that, that's the same. They're going to, the, the player himself has to find, well, which one's the better place for me of those two? It's not like there's a disordinate amount uh, versus one place versus another among the top programs. And so I feel like uh, not only from a, just from a staying home perspective, I mean, there are a number of Aggie recruits that they, they signed that could have went elsewhere, maybe for a little bump in pay. Mm-hmm. Right. But decided to stay where they're at because they're happy there. There are some that left because they weren't to your point. And I feel like that, that people need to realize recruiting is going to be more nuanced because there is a, a another piece at play here, whether we want to believe it or not with NIL. Um, but it, it still comes down to, I mean, if you're Arch Manning, you, you're not signing because of NIL. Um, there are receivers that aren't going to go play in certain offenses. It doesn't matter how much money you offer them, right? And so I feel like as, as long as people keep in mind that is a, is a mitigating factor, it, money, is, money is one thing. Finding out where you want to be is really the ultimate goal. Well, and, and to quote Liam Neeson, most players have a particular set of skills. And, and there's a marriage to an offense or a defense or a system. And you have to be able to sell that player on how they fit your system, right? I mean, someone might be the, the bigger bidder, but, you know, if you're a, a player and then you're basically a three technique and this team sees you as a heads-up defensive tackle, you're not going to thrive in your college career. I don't, I don't care how good you are. Well, actually – if you're Reggie White, you can just line up anywhere on the football field. I'm beyond those guys. Most players need to fit a system to excel and, and to really, really do well. And that's something that's also going to be important. Um, look, Texas didn't have a great sell for tight ends until this breakout season with Javian Sanders. Now Texas has got to sell. Hey, more than just telling you that we throw the ball to the tight end, and we use the tight end in different ways that the NFL values as a blocker, as a lead blocker, as a motion blocker, et cetera. Uh, here, we can show you the film. Here's Jatavian Sanders. And now a, a Deuce Robinson, maybe actually we've got a pitch to him, right? Whereas the Georges of the world could say, hey, uh, we use the tight end. Here's a guy you might recognize. Uh, so I, I think there's an element of fit as well. And once you get past the absolute stud superstars who are not the bulk of college football in the portal or recruits. It's all about fit. And so you have to be able to articulate and sell the player on your fit, uh, honestly. And so that's where, you know, not to go back to AM, but Jimbo Fisher might be selling this NFL passing offense to receivers. And then they get there and they realize, mm, it's not, not quite the bill of goods that I was sold. Let me ask you this. One, one final question here is a little bit of a different take because you and I uh, have not talked about this. Savion Red's move to running back. 
What do you make of that? I like it. Uh, I, I think he could also – he could end up back at receiver. I think we've got a need. I think it's more than just depth, though. I think he, I think he's good at the position. I do, too. Yeah. If, if you look at the guy, he's thick. He's thick body. Now, if you look to the NFL, that is the new evolution of receiver. You and I, I mean, we grew up with big receivers. That's not new in the NFL. The six-foot-four dude who's 220, that's always been around. What's new is the six foot one, 230 pound dude who's a running back after he catches the ball. Debo Samuel, uh, AJ Brown for the Eagles. These guys are monsters and people can't put them on the ground. Or guys like Jamar Chase that aren't quite that big. But they, they are a running back with the ball in their hands. Great. Terrific. I mean, that's, that's, that's who Red reminds me a little bit more of. Not, not saying he's going to have that kind of career. Yeah, I, I'm not That's, saying he's Debo sized. Right, Debo's right. You get my point, right? Human, but do you have any doubt Debo would be a top ten NFL running back if that's all he did? I mean, of course. So I think I think he can do both things. I think he's going to be a huge asset in the passing game there, and I think he's a guy who can run between the tackles. If you look at him, you know, one thing that was helpful about the Alamo Bowl, Bobby, I went, I went to San Antonio, and, and I sat at about field level. It's a little bit like if you've ever done a combat sport, like boxing or wrestling, you'll see heights and weights and you'll say, oh, they're in the same weight class. They're the same size. And then you see Tommy Hearns in person at supposedly 147 pounds and you go, that guy's not the same size as that guy he's fighting. Right. And it works like that in football. I saw Savion Red and I went, oh, He's listed at 205 or whatever it is. That, that kid's thick. He, he looks like Priest Holmes, right? Uh, you see Malik Murphy at field level and you say, okay, I see his program height and weight. I see him in person. That's a different sized human being than Quinn Ewers, who's allegedly five pounds lighter and an inch shorter. They're, not, they're different human beings and the heights and weights don't convey it. Savion Red's one of those dudes, and I don't think his power is fully conveyed when you watch him play receiver. I think he's a guy who can run with some power. I don't think he's going to be – he's not Keelan Robinson out there. Um, I, you know, I like the move. I think it's useful. I think it's more than just about creating some depth. I think he might, he might, have, some, uh, he might have some juice there at that position. Paul, I've, I've already got our subject for next week, and we're going to talk about other things you saw like that because that's a, a great I completely agree with you uh, about seeing things and somebody being 205 versus 200 and they're just totally different people yeah um, so I want to I want to talk to you about more about what you saw at Phil level at the Alamo Bowl uh, next week uh, all right this week's uh, Saturday special uh, with me and Paul Wadlington uh, was brought to you by mortgages by Gabe please check it out uh, Paul I appreciate your time man uh, we'll get it we'll get on here again next next Saturday and talk a little more Horns football. Anytime. Let's do it, Bobby. All right. Take care. Thank you for watching. For more videos on Texas football, recruiting, and other sports, make sure you click the like button and subscribe to the channel to get the very latest updates. Uh, thank you for watching again and hook them.